You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. I thought that Tom's message last week was fantastic, didn't you? I thought this is challenging, and it came back to me many times during the week. I thought, oh, I've got to remember, we've been talking about how to use our speech, how we speak, and uh, this is a way that honours God if I speak in a way that shows he is my God. In fact, this whole letter of James so far really makes me think of this section in Hebrews 4 that says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we open this book, we've got to be prepared for action. Got to be thinking, this is dangerous. This is not an old dusty book. This is living and active and it pierces like a sword. So I've noticed this as we've gone through James. This is hit, James's letter is hitting me in ways I think I really need to look at myself here and respond somehow. James's series, he has been calling us to serious self-evaluation, hasn't he? He's been saying, look, stop kidding yourself. If you say you're a Christ follower, it will look like this or it'll look like that. It won't just mean going to church. It won't even mean just praying to Jesus. It won't just mean doing the right things and ticking the right boxes. It will be this question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he Lord of your life? That's what James wants to know. If so, trust him in, tr- in trials, chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, trust his wisdom over your own. Let it shape your behavior and your character. Going on to last week, use your tongue in a way that reflects, I belong to Jesus. I'm not my own. I was bought at a heavy price. I don't speak as if I can just say whatever I want. I know I belong to Jesus. How does he want me to speak? And the good thing about all of this is that it's for our good. Yes, it's for God's glory, but it's also for our good to behave the way God has called us to behave. It's not so that we can get his love. It's because he loves us. That's what we've been learning. So today we're going to be in chapter 4 of, uh, of James. And uh, James is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the churches. He's written to the churches. And uh, he's speaking to Christians. He talks to brothers and sisters, which means he's talking to his Christian brothers and sisters. Now it might be just worth us saying we know that we don't all... He's assuming that his readers know the gospel. They know the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ... They've stepped into trusting Jesus with their life. Now, when we speak on Sundays, it's, it's not always the case that we speak to you in that way because we know lots of you come in just to visit, not sure if you even believe in God. Uh, if you do, you're thinking, okay, I haven't quite totally uh, jumped in at the deep end. So just to say we sometimes try to explain things in a certain way to you and hope that we can help you with that. And today, James wants to challenge us again pretty full on. He's pretty heavy, but he does love us. I wanted to encourage you that James does love us. He loves us like a, like a parent, maybe having to say some pretty direct things for our good. And uh, yeah, you'll know what I mean as we read this. Uh, we're going to read from verse 1, even though I think what I put on the slide only starts at verse 6. But um, if you had your Bible with you, you'd be able to read all of it. So there you go, there's a challenge. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. 
When he says murder here, I think he's talking about how Jesus says, if you hate your brother or sister, you murder them in your heart. Okay, he's not talking about the Christians all going and killing each other. He's saying, you desire and you do not have, so you tear each other down. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of God, sorry, a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And here's where the slide picks up. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's what we're looking at today. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father God, we want you to help us. Those of us that have said we've given you our lives, we're trusting you with our lives, we want you to be uh, your eyes to stop on us. And we want your attention, God. We want you to change our lives. We want you to help us to grow from one degree of glory to the next. We want you to help us to get dirt out of our lives and surrender to you and grow in joy and grow in life. Thank you. You said you came that you would give life and life in abundance. We want life in abundance with Jesus. So we pray, speak to us today. I pray, convict hearts today to say, I know what I have to do. I know how to believe in Jesus. I know how I have to respond. Help us to grow more like Jesus. Speak through me, I pray, as I speak. In Jesus' name. Just as eyes are closed, again, I ask you, just pray. God, speak to me today. Amen. Amen. So, James is a little bit like a doctor. A doctor who says to us, you've got cancer. And that's a hard thing to hear. But he's saying this, you can kill this. You can do something about this. We also want you to know, if you don't, it will be killing you. The Puritan John Owen said, sin, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And James talks to us in a way that says, you need to get some things out of your life, because otherwise you're choosing death. You're choosing the path that is walking away from God. And today we're talking about humility and pride. Humility and pride. We want to learn that humility is our greatest friend. And pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. Pride is our greatest enemy. Well, we're going to start with asking the question, what is humility? What is it? James is saying, humble yourself. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does it look like? Uh, what isn't it? What are the benefits? What's my motivation? Do I have humility? Do I lack it? What does it look like? When you think of the word humble, you might think of that book, Charlotte's Web, you know, the the humble pig. Remember that? Or uh, 
Charles Dickens' David Copperfield with Uriah Heep, the oh-so-humble servant who is actually lying the whole time. He's trying to manipulate people by pretending he's humble. Maybe you think humility means basically being pathetic, means being a weakling or a weed. As Winston Churchill said to somebody, he was quite good at put-downs, Winston Churchill said, he is a modest gentleman with much to be modest about. Maybe you think that's what humility is, just someone who hasn't really got anything going for them. Well, that's why we need to have a biblical definition so we don't get muddled up with these things. C.J. Mahaney in this book called Humility, which I would recommend, it's a helpful book, Humili- Humility, True Greatness, it's called. He defines uh, uh, humility biblically, saying this, Humility is honestly and accurately assessing ourselves in light of God, in light of his holiness and our depravity. Having an honest and accurate assessment of yourself in light of God's holiness and your depravity. Isn't that helpful to think, I want to see myself honestly. I want to have an honest reflection of myself. That's why James kind of talks about it being a mirror that we hold up to ourselves. Don't walk away having not done anything. You want to have an accurate representation of what's going on and respond accordingly. It's not just being pathetic. It's not merely thinking of yourself as a no-hoper. It it shouldn't lead to depression. It shouldn't lead to no confidence. It shouldn't lead to no dignity or no reason to live. It should lead us to God. Humility should lead us to God. As James says in verse 7 of this chapter 4, submit yourselves to God. It says, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. That's where humility should send us. Okay, Tim, I've understood what humility is. Why do I care? Well, there are benefits to humility. The Bible talks about things that are hugely beneficial to us if we seek humility. I mean, first of all, I think it's a motivation to me to say, I want to have an honest picture of myself. There may be people in the media or people that you know who just think, this person's a bit deluded, really. They don't see themselves clearly, and it shows And uh, I would like to have a clear representation of myself. That's a good motivation for me. Here's a fantastic one. Isaiah 66, verse 2. This, declares the Lord, is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The humble get God's attention. Isn't that fantastic? If I'm going to be wanting God's eyes to be roaming the earth, it says in one of the, I can't remember what it is. I think it's uh, Colossians. No, I don't know. God's eyes roam the earth seeking those who are faultless, who are blameless. Okay? Also, his eyes roam the earth looking for those who are humble. I want him to stop at me, at Tim Virgo, and say, ah, I found someone who I can work with. I found someone who wants to do what I want them to do. I found someone who is humble. Psalm 25 says, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. I want him to be able to teach me his way. I want him to show me what is right. And of course, James says, gives grace to the humble. I want God's grace in my life. And almost by definition, if you're lacking in humility, you can't get his grace because you're not opening yourself to it. And also, he lifts up the humble. It said in, in verse 10, he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. 
So these are great motivations to think, okay, this is the right way to live. Humility is wise. It's a wise position to hold. It is giving me an accurate view of myself and of the world to work from. It's like turning a light on, like flipping a switch. Okay, now I can see accurately. I know how to behave. I know how life works. I know who I should be looking to. Humility says, God is God and I am not. God is on the throne. I'm not. That's tough for us sometimes. We think, I want to be in the throne in this situation. I want to be the one calling the shots in this situation. I don't want to have to do things God's way. Humility recognizes he's the one on the throne, not you. Humility recognizes that God is on the judgment seat, not me. So when someone does something I don't like, I don't have to go, well, I judge you for this. I can say, actually, God's on the judgment seat. I'll leave it to him to judge them. Even if something that hurts me particularly, okay, God, I hand this over to you. I hand this on to you. I have to. Otherwise, it's going to tear me up. I'm going to turn bitter. I'm going to turn resentful. God, I wanted to pass this on to you. You're in the judgment seat, not me. Humility says he is in control, not me. If you're someone who knows you're quite controlling, well, maybe there's something you need to humble yourself and say, actually, I'm not in control. God is in control. And the great thing about this is that will bring you such peace. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. Humility is not just, uh, uh, you know, just roll over and uh, God will abuse you. No, God lifts you up. If you recognize I'm not in control, God is great. I can help you. I can lift you up, says God. Humility sees that God understands. I don't. God sees things clearly. I don't. I see things with my vision, often skewed, often through lenses which are sinful. God sees things clearly. God sees the future. I can't see the future. God sees the past accurately. The humble man recognizes God sees the past accurately. What may I, I still may be holding on to from the past that hurt me a lot or that I have frustrations with or hold back uh, forgiveness with. I may not even have seen it right. I may not have even had a clear representation of what happened in my memory. God knows. God's the judge. He sees the past accurately. God knows the extent of my sin. I don't. I may think it's not that bad. There will be a day when I'll come face to face with him one day and I will be on my face before him, recognizing how glorious he is and how I should not be in his presence. And yet he's saying, come in. Some people think one day they'll be in the presence of God and they'll be able to say, God, I've got a few questions for you. you, know, you ask, what will you ask God when you come face to face with him? Well, I'll ask him about this. this. The reality is we'll be on our face before him. We won't be asking questions. Humility says God knows what he is doing. And if I'm honest, I don't. I have to keep looking towards him and following him. Humility looks to God. So those are some of the things that define and characterize humility. And the the other side of the coin is pride. What is pride? There's a few more things of humility. Humility should lead us to God, but it also will lead to certain behaviors. It also leads to the behavior of encouraging people. Are you good at encouraging people? Are you generous with encouragement? Or are you quite stingy? Because you know if I encourage that person, lift them up, 
puts me down. Don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Maybe you think, I, I think I should encourage that person, but there's just something in me. I don't really want to. They might get big-headed. And Humility encourages people. It's generous with encouragement. Humble people don't get offended easily. Do you know you get offended easily? Are you somebody who's quick to get offended? I think that this is characteristic of our society at the moment. It shows that we are in a proud, proud society. People are quick to be offended. Maybe that's something you just, if you're honest with yourself, you think, yeah, okay. Okay, we'll, we'll move on to how to pursue humility. Humble people serve and bless others. Are you good at practically serving and blessing others? Just to let you know, as I was preparing this this week, I was uh, greatly challenged. <laughs> this should challenge us. We are all uh, live in the temptation of pride. This is hard. I'm no way standing here saying, you know, I've got this right. Now you guys catch up. This is hard. Humble people know peace. As James was saying in chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. So proud people want to go for their own glory. They want to lift themselves up. They want their things. Humble people are willing to say, oh, this doesn't have to be my way. We can do it your way, and, and it brings peace. Peace is a great characteristic of, of humble people, of humility. We don't need things to be our way. And humble people, this is a funny one, could sometimes look a bit arrogant. Think about David before Goliath, this teenage boy, looking at this nine-foot-tall man, saying, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? How arrogant does that boy look? And yet he's not thinking, I'm only five foot four. He's nine foot ten or whatever. He's thinking, my God is on my team. He doesn't have God on his team. He's uncircumcised. He's not, God's, he's not one of God's people. So you may have to do something sometimes. And it may cause you to be brave. Because you're saying, I'm determined to be humble before God. Not humble before man, in that sense. We want to be humble before man, but I don't want to be under men uh, if it means compromising on what God's asked me to do. So sometimes it may call, call us to do really brave things. Jesus, we were going to read in a moment in Philippians 2, uh, his humility looked like obedience. In humility, he obeyed God unto the point of death on a cross. Do you ever die to things out of obedience? Do you ever die to things out of humility. So James says to these people that he's talking to, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Jesus offered to be murdered. See how the other way around it is. Not I must have my way, but I will lay my life down for the sake of others. So some of the marks of humility are beautiful. They're for us. They're for each other. And the other side of the coin is pride. Pride is a distorted view. It puts myself at the center. It lifts myself up. If I'm so focused on myself all the time, there could be a hole in the ground and I don't even see it and I fall in. I don't want to be focused on myself. I want to have my face lifted up. I want to be looking at God. I don't want to have that twisted view. Pride even denies truth and even logic. Atheists are happy to say, I can't believe in a God that was born uh, for, to a virgin, 
but they're happy to believe in a universe that was created out of nothing. How does that add up? Where's the logic in that? There, there's a pr- proud, prideness, prideness? There's pride that defies logic. Like a man on a ladder who's put the ladder on a rickety table, he's reaching up high, he's holding two paint cans on, on his foot, he's balancing, someone says, do you need any help? No. Why do people keep asking me that? Proud. Defies logic. No, I can do it on my own. I'm fine on my own. Someone who drops their glasses at the edge of a cliff face. Ah, I can't really see very well, but I'll find them. Can I help you? No, I'll find them. What's going to happen? Pride defies logic. It's like trying to discern in the dark. I remember when I was about six years old, I woke up one morning and there was an owl in my room. It was sitting there and I thought, what on earth is an owl doing in my room? And I was like, mommy. I had to get out of my bed, creep past, go to my mum and dad's room. Mum, there's an owl in my room. I don't think there is, Tim. Managed to convince them to come with me. And of course, there was a jumper or something on the back of a chair that looked a bit like an owl from my skewed vision because it was night and I couldn't see it properly and pride will get us into all sorts of problems and fear and wrong thinking if we are trying to discern things in the dark because we're trying to put ourselves on the throne trying to put ourselves in God's place pride desires to sit on God's throne in Isaiah 14 it talks about the origin of sin it talks about Satan's fall and it says this About Satan, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's how Satan fell. That was the origin of sin into the world. Satan came in, told Adam and Eve to question God, put themselves in God's place. Every time we sin, we turn away from God. We pridefully say, I know better. I am God in my life. That's the few things I went through earlier. Humility says God is God. Pride says I am God. Pride says I'm on the throne. Pride says I'm on the judgment seat. Thank you very much. I'm in control. I understand and I see everything clearly. I see the future I see the past accurately. I know the extent of my sin and it's not that bad. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to look to God. That's what pride does. It skews our vision. It puts us in grave danger. And James is saying, humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. He'll lift you up. I'm not saying throw your life away and then, yeah, that's just the way it has to go. No, give your life to him. Humble yourself. Come unto him. He'll lift you up. He will give you Uh, life in abundance there are many things that he goes on to say that pride looks like that we we just looked at a little bit causes division it causes God to be opposed to you do you really want God to be opposed to you God opposes the proud really like I said before by definition if I'm playing football and then I take my jersey off put the other team's jersey on Is it their fault that they're now playing against me? No, I'm the one who got on the other team. 
God opposes us if we're not going to be humble and come to him. So James is calling us, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. There are some scary things about pride that the Bible says. Proverbs 8.13 says, God hates arrogance and pride. Do you really want to be on the opposition to God? He's on the throne and he should be. You know, some people, Richard Dawkins is quite famous for saying, God's a pe- he's a petty God, the Christian God. He always wants his way, he wants to be on the throne, he wants to sit, you know, he wants certain things certain ways. That is the height of arrogance. That someone would say, God doesn't know what he's doing, he's petty. He wants to be on the throne because that's where he belongs. He wants to be on the throne of your life because that's where he belongs. Not just for his glory, although yes, mainly, but for your good. For your good. That is how it works. That's how he works. He wants you to be in the best place you should be with him on the throne. With the light on. With you being able to see in the dark. None of us are immune to this pride. None of us. It's not a question of if pride exists in your life. It's a question of where and how is it expressed. How is pride expressed in my life? These are questions that's definitely worthwhile looking into. Like I said, for your good, for God's glory. You may think, yeah, actually, I know pride exists. Even some of the things you said, I know that I'm easily offended. I know... People tread on eggshells around me sometimes. I do demand my way. Get upset if things, things don't go my way. I don't serve really. I don't really encourage others. I'm not very generous with encouragement. Maybe I'm cowardly of doing things God's way. Maybe like I actually had in one of my school reports when I was in primary school. Timmy has got in, because he used to call me Timmy, has got into, don't start it now has got, got into the habit of saying, why should I? What a horrible thing to have on my report card. Why should I? That's what the proud heart says. Husbands, love your wives. Why should I? And other things. So pride exists in all of us. It is a temptation for all of us. Tim, are you just saying stop it? Well, to a certain extent, Yes. James says, humble yourself. So he's saying, you've got responsibility. Humble yourself. How do we do this? Stop kidding yourself that you don't need help. That you're okay. Have a sober assessment of yourself. Help, ask ask friends to give you feedback. I mean, you would probably know lots of things that you struggle with. And you can say, look, I've had to say this week to, to friends, I'm not good with my tongue in this area because we spoke on the tongue last week. Please, will you pull me up on that if you hear me? So we've got friends, we've got family for this. Be disturbed by your sin. Don't get comfortable with your sin. James says this, and it's bizarre, but if you realize, hopefully now, after I've spoke to you about this, where he's coming from, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. He's saying, take your sin seriously. Don't just be, oh, it doesn't matter. God will sweep it under the rug. Christ had to die on a cross for your sin. He had to be nailed to a cross. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. It's not cheap. You should be moved to 
just being disturbed by your sin. Don't grow comfortable with it. Look to the cross. One of my most favorite passages in the Bible is Philippians 2. It says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is Paul saying to the Philippians, If you love Jesus, I want to see these things in you. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility doesn't mean you don't have your own interests. It just doesn't mean that they are your priority all the time. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now that is an incredible statement. Jesus was God. He was in the form of God. I'm not. And I sometimes snatch at being equal with God. Jesus was in the form of God and did not count equality with God something to be snatched at. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a passage. What a passage that the living God came down in human form, washed his disciples' dirty feet, came and said, I didn't come to be served but to serve. He he caught them once arguing, and they sa- he said, what are you arguing about? And they said, oh, we're just trying to decide who will be the best among us when we come into the kingdom. He's, they, they don't get it at all. He says to them, no, the first shall be last. The last shall be first. You've got to serve others. You've got to come to love others, put others first. This is what our humble king did for us, going to death on a cross. So yes, I do think... The onus is on you to humble yourself. But how can you not be humbled looking at this, this saviour nailed to a tree, blood-stained, pouring, God pouring his wrath on him? How can you not be humbled? Look at Jesus. If the band can come up, I'm just coming into land here. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the 20th century, preacher, great preacher, said this. Fill your affections with the cross of Christ, wrote John Owen, that there may be no room for sin. And that includes no room for pride. Then Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote the following about the surest way to pursue humility. He said this, There is only one thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust, and that is to look at the Son of God and especially contemplate the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Nothing else can do it. When I see that I am a sinner, 
that nothing but the Son of God on the cross can save me. I'm humbled to the dust. Nothing but the cross can give us this spirit of humility. One preacher says we all carry the nails in our pockets. We're the one who put him there on the cross. It was our sin that put Jesus there and he willingly went to the cross for our sake. He didn't, he didn't get executed without his own consent. He said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down freely. That was for you, that was for me. How can we stand proud and arrogant? How can we say, God, I know better than you? How can we say, I'm not sure if he loves me? We've got to come under this, hum- this humble king, humble ourselves, lift him up. Lift others up and trust he will lift you up. I would know this to be true in my life. I'm sure many of you, as you've, as you've given yourself more and more to Jesus, as, you, as you've said, not my way, but your way, you've experienced more life, not less. You've experienced more clarity, not less. More love of God, not less. As we give in to God, we experience his love, his grace on our lives. Let me just stand and I'll pray for you. There may be a response for you if you're a Christian, which is pretty much the same if you're not a Christian today. That is to look at this Jesus on the cross and say to him, I surrender. I surrender. Not my way, but your way. How could I put myself on God's throne? Lord, I do pray that you would bring about your Holy Spirit's conviction. I can't do it by my words, but you can. Those of us that know you, Jesus, in here, know there is nothing better. You've changed our lives. We'll never look back. We thank you that you've healed people this week and even today of sicknesses. We know you can heal people of death. As they give their lives to you, you can save them. I pray there'd be people here that would surrender to you. Say, God, I just give it to you. You know better than me. I've got like my glasses have fallen off I can't see clearly I need help I pray help us Christians Father God help your sons and daughters to surrender to you say God I need to let go of my bitterness I need to let go of my resentment I need to let go of my arrogance I need to surrender to you help us to diagnose where that is apparent in our lives and be practical about it put things in place look at the cross look at our sins soberly mourn over it realise it is not okay it is not cheap it is not for our good help us Lord God I pray those in the room that have never surrendered to you God would you let them know it's not it's not a fearful surrender it's a joyful surrender that it really is embracing life If you want to do that today, if you want to surrender to Jesus for the first time, really, ask for forgiveness of your sins and trust your life to him, please speak to myself or somebody at the prayer area in just a moment. We would love to pray through that with you. People in this last few weeks have given their lives to Jesus in this place. We want to see it more and more often. Lord, we love you. We're going to worship you now. We're going to surrender to you with our song. listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.